Psalm 46 together. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. And the Lord be with you. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on your faithful people. Keep us steadfast in your grace and truth. Protect and deliver us in times of temptation. Defend us against all enemies and grant to your church your saving peace. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our first reading for this Reformation Sunday is from Revelation in the 14th chapter. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. This is the word of the Lord. And our epistle reading from Paul's letter to the Philippians, also our sermon text for the day from chapter 4. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly now that at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians, you yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, that no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. And not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment 
and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. I invite you to rise in honor of the gospel. <clears throat> From John's gospel in the eighth chapter. So, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is the gospel of our Lord. You may be seated, and I invite our young ones up. Mercy and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us together on this day when we remember how you continue to work through the church how you continue to work through history, how you continue to work through the people of your church to point us to your love for us in Jesus, how you continue to work by your Spirit, focusing us in on the work that Christ alone has done for our forgiveness, for our salvation, and as you continue to work by your Spirit to draw us closer to you and serve our neighbor in ways that glorify you. In Jesus' name we praise and thank you. Amen. But here it is, the last sermon of our sermon series within the book of Philippians as we looked at Paul's complete joy in this young church and how that same joy that he felt for them is a joy that we get to live in as well as we see God working within our church and amongst our people within our neighborhoods and how he continues to work through those sitting right around you to care for you and the joy that that brings. And this last section is really quite full of that joy. Now, it's funny to think through that and realize that Paul was also talking a lot about money, right? How many of you were raised in the home where they said, we can talk about anything at the dinner table except politics, religion, and money, right? Three very important things that we need to be able to talk about in conversation. Three things that are utterly necessary as we work in and amongst this creation that God has given us and steward the gifts that God has given us. And Paul writes to the Philippians and he's absolutely overjoyed with their heart of giving, their heart of generosity, their desire to pour into the work that the church is doing through Paul and through Epaphroditus and through all the others that he named before that had way harder names to say. And how they work through them and see God working through them for the benefit of all of Philippi, 
for the benefit of the saints and Caesar's household that Paul names and says that even these guys are getting to hear the gospel. He says, I thank you so much from the beginning of the gospel, from when you heard it and when I was in Macedonia and where that came about and you guys poured into that. And then even when I was in jail in Thessalonica and you poured into that and you gave so that I knew needs would be met. And he said, in those low times and in those high times, in all these situations where I have been wondering where the next meal was coming from and in all the situations where I had plenty enough to share in in abundance and lack, in plenty and need, I've learned how to be content. That's a big word for us, right? How often in life have you felt content? Really quite often in life we're told to never really feel content. There's always got to be the next thing. There's always got to be the next thing that you don't have something that's good enough and the next thing is better. And if you have that better thing, then you're going to be happier. And if you don't have that better thing, someone else is going to be happier and then you're going to want whatever that thing is as well, right? But this idea of contentment is something that I don't think comes early in life for most and you might start to grasp it later on as life continues. You start to see the true value in certain things. You start to see the beauty and simplicity. You start to see the glorious things that God does in the mundane and in the regular. You start to realize how full of contentment you can be in those situations. And that's what Paul says. He says, in all of these situations, I've learned to be content. Because I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Man, that verse gets pulled way out of this context a lot of times and used in all areas and facets of life. And it's focused in on Paul's thanksgiving for the fact that in Christ, he is content because of Christ's work alone. And yet, again, he's rejoicing over Philippi for the way in which they have worked with their monies, right? You see, bad teachings on monies can always flow through the church. In fact, they're very detrimental to the church a lot of times. It's what Luther was dealing with in 1517. On October 31st in 1517, he posts his 95 theses, his thoughts and areas of which he wanted to have discussion with the church leaders and with the teachers of uh, the university right there on the uh, church door, the castle church door in Wittenberg. And he said, here's the discussion I want to have. Is it proper to tell people that they can pay for their forgiveness? That's what was going on. Many of you are familiar with the story. John Tetzel had come in and uh, he was giving the, or he was given the responsibility to raise funds to build St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. So in order to build St. Peter's Basilica, they needed money. Now, the practice of indulgences wasn't a new thing at that moment, but Tetzel had taken it to an extreme. You see, back then and even today, if you talk to those within the Roman Catholic Church, they will tell you that indulgences are fine, but they take repentance, contrition, and some kind of act, right? It could be a pilgrimage. It could be a number of prayers. It could be all kinds of sorts of different things. 
But these things would go along with whatever forgiveness you heard to make that forgiveness effective. And it would also, in Tetzel's words, take years off of your time in purgatory. That's beautiful. Um, it's not biblical. Uh, it's very kind of him to offer that. And actually, purgatory isn't really even a thing that we would teach either from Scripture. And we can have a conversation about that another time, maybe in Bible study after the sermon. Well, after the service. But Tetzel, walking around in a context and in a culture of folks that didn't quite know Scripture because it wasn't in their own language, hearing from those from the church saying, you don't want to spend time in purgatory, you don't want your loved ones to spend time in purgatory, give some money and their sins will be forgiven. Ooh, can you imagine the guilt you would feel if you didn't? or didn't have the money to give and all those loved ones of your suffering the torturous pains of things without being in heaven just yet in this area of kind of limbo of having to deal with the things between heaven and hell and it was all on you and all on your shoulders and all on your ability to give so that they would be forgiven that's quite a tactic so we've got some mortgage payments to make uh no, i'm just kidding <laughs> I'm not going to do that to you. But see, this idea that Tetzel is uh, pointing at is saying, look, God's grace alone isn't enough. You need to take part in it. You need to do something about it. You need to go on a pilgrimage. You need to uh, give more. You need to do more so that you would know that God's grace for you in Jesus is actually effective because that's the only way in which it's all going to really count for you. It's an attack on God's grace, and it's improper, and it's wrong. It's not in Scripture, and it's not something that we should trust in. But there's a more modern version of that also. If you believe enough, you'll experience God's blessings, and you'll know that you believe enough when you have all the things that you want. Called the prosperity gospel, health and wealth gospel. Just trust harder, have stronger faith, believe more, and your sicknesses will go away. Believe in the ones who have that ability to do it, and they will miraculously be able to heal you if you trust strong enough. If you give enough to God's kingdom, if you share your monies enough, God will absolutely respond with giving to you and you'll be able to buy that new car that you need. You'll be able to make every payment of everything that you have a desire for and all your desires will be fulfilled so long as you have enough faith. Does that sound familiar in the modern American context? It's kind of scary, isn't it? That's also improper. That's an attack on Christ. That's saying that Christ's work for you isn't enough. That's saying that you need to believe harder. You need to conjure something up in there. You need to trust more so that your salvation will be known. And by God's blessings, you'll know that you're his child. Okay. What if I don't see those things in my life? What if I doubt? What if I have a hard time in a hard situation because I'm really not quite sure about where my faith is at? How about when I don't quite trust God's word enough? How about when I have to choose which three out of the seven bills have to get paid? How come I don't get to go buy steak 
at the market and put that on the table every single night, but we're trying to figure out how to deal with macaroni and cheese and top ramen. Those are examples. That's not what I'm walking through right now, but those are examples. Because <laughs> I wasn't trying to put guilt on you with that either. But we've been there. I'm sure you've been there. Had to make decisions on stuff, right? And if you've been taught that God's love for you is tied together with how well you can live life, I'm sorry. Because that's not what it is. Paul's words speak right to that. In times of need and lack, I know that God's got me in Jesus. In times of abundance and plenty, I've learned how to face that too. And Did you catch those words when he said it? I've learned how to face plenty and abundance as well as need and lack. He doesn't say, I've learned that God loves me when I have plenty and abundance, and I've learned how to face necessity and lack. Not at all. He says, I've learned how to face both those things. See, those are the variables in life. He said, but I can face both those things by being content in one thing. Content in the fact that God's love for me and Jesus does not change. Content that within him who strengthens me, I can walk into any situation that there is, knowing that if I am not certain where the food's going to come from, that's fine. My salvation is sure in Jesus. And if I have to deal with and try to figure out how to manage millions and billions of dollars, well, I can walk into that situation too, knowing that Christ's love for me does not change and that my salvation is constant because his grace is sufficient for me. In all of those situations, whatever it may be, my focus is not whether or not I have enough or whether or not I have too much, but my focus is on Jesus. So Luther was trying to get the church back to in his day. A focus on Christ's work alone for your salvation. A focus on God's grace alone in giving you faith to believe in that promise of salvation. In our day and age, those things start to take on, those two incorrect teachings start to take on different faces from time to time, but they're the same attacks. Satan works through all of these different ways to try and get our eyes off of Jesus and onto either our own works or our own abilities, and those are always going to fall short. You are not perfect. But Jesus is. He's absolutely perfect. We're walking through a time in our church right now as we look at our budgets, and it's difficult to look at. It is. There's fewer folks around. Giving is less than it was before. A lot of the utilities cost more. Life costs more. You know this. It does in your household as well. Those are difficult things to try to manage. There's a lot of beauty going on in the midst of all of it, though, in your households and within the church between the ministries that are going on, between the preschool that's rocking and rolling. We just wish we had some more teachers to be able to come in and be consistent in there. And the maintenance of the facilities, all these sorts of things, there are beautiful things that are going on and they are more difficult to manage. Absolutely. 
And many of you are in situations where that income has been fixed for a long time and life costs more and there's no ability at all to be able to give more, especially sacrificially giving for rooted and growing and mortgage payments and all those sorts of things. And it's beautiful where your heart is at in giving. There's others that are trying to figure out how to pay bills and can't give at all. It's beautiful and it's wonderful to see where you're at in God's grace working through your brothers and sisters in Christ to live life with you and walk along with you and in support in ways that aren't financial and yet life continues on in that and you get to continue to see that joy that Paul had from the way that the brothers and sisters in Philippi would support him. And there's others of us that maybe need to look more closely at all of those variables. Maybe even look more at our time, see what it looks like to be able to take care of those around us on Sundays and midweek. There's all kinds of places that we can look to see what it looks like to glorify God in our minutes and our hours and our finances and in all those ways. And in all of it, God continues to work. His love for you doesn't change in all of it. The faith he's given you in your baptism doesn't change in any of that. His grace for you is absolutely the same in all of it, and his forgiveness for you in Christ is absolutely constant. He's the one that strengthens Paul to be in all of those situations. He's the one that strengthens you to be in the middle of all of those situations. He's the one that is the foundation, the rock, the refuge for CLC and every other church that is around as being the focus and focal point and foundation of where our salvation lies. It's just interesting to see what life looks like in its different stages, at home, in church, in the community, in all those places. But to know that Jesus is the same, whether we have plenty or we have need, whether things are in abundance or we lack somewhere, Christ's love for you is exactly the same. His death for you is just as powerful. His resurrection for you still gives you salvation and life. His work by His Spirit in your life to take care of your neighbors and to solidify you and the faith that He has given you to trust in that forgiveness is exactly the same and just as strong as it has ever been and will continue to be because God does not change in his promises for you. You are loved. You're forgiven. And I pray that in that grace alone that God has given you faith to believe in Christ alone, in all those things, you find contentment. Because whatever the world throws at us, whatever Satan tries to tear our eyes towards, all those things will falter and fall and fail and not fulfill us in the way that God does. But in Christ, you have everything. Amen. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for being constant through history, constant through time, constant in our forgiveness, and in that constant work that you continue to do with your presence, we thank you for giving us all things necessary for our salvation. We pray that by your Spirit, you would raise within us a ability to be content in whatever situation it is. Not that we would not strive 
to glorify you more or not strive to take care of our neighbors, but to know that you are working as much as you always have and always will, that you are working to point us to Jesus for our forgiveness and to our neighbor for care. We pray that you would lead us by your spirit each and every day that we remember that by grace alone and faith alone and Christ alone, you have loved us and made us yours and given us the identity of your children, sons and daughters of the King. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to rise 